Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Great is the Lord, a study on the book of Malachi. For more information on CBC or how you can get connected, go to the website, www.cbcsavannah.com. Lord, we need to be reminded of your goodness, and we need to be reminded of your greatness, especially as we look around, as we look at just loss. We think of Walter Mary Alice and just the devastation of losing a son, um, and just how she's lost her mama and her brother and her brother-in-law all in the last year. It's just life just sometimes just throws us things, but you are sovereign, you are good, and you are over these things, and I thank you for their faith in this, and that gives us hope, just reminds us that uh, there's something greater, that we have resurrection and uh, eternity with you to look forward to, but just uh, right now, may the church and the people of God and, and, and your spirit just please be so tangible and real as, as he comforts, and again, please help me just one more time to teach your word in a way that your people are built and that, that Christ is honored, Lord, that's, that's my, what I ask for your name's sake, because uh, I am empty and nothing apart from you, and so I just ask that you would move and fall fresh on this, which is a challenging text to preach and to hear, and so just help me, uh, for Christ's name's sake, I pray, amen. Thanks again, have a seat. If you have a Bible, turn to Malachi chapter 1. Four crowing kids in the house, what we often hear at 3.30, 3.45 every day is, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? Right? And when we respond with uh, pizza or Dairy Queen or uh, cereal, right, there's great jubilation and rejoicing in those moments, right? Because they love those things. But when the response is, we're having leftovers. There's just something about leftovers, y'all, right? I mean, you could have, as your personal chef, Bobby Flay, all right? For those Food Network watchers, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you need to watch some Food Network. But you could have Bobby Flay cooking dinner and the greatest meal ever, and it's just something about putting in the refrigerator for 24 hours that makes it, ugh. It could have been great the night before, and, the, and 24 hours later, it's just, ugh, leftovers. There's just something about leftovers. We started a new book last week, the book of Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, and kind of historically, real quick, where it fits, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with Old Testament, go back and listen to last week's sermon, because I kind of give a recap, but the nation of Israel falls the north in 722, they go into exile. The southern part goes away in 605, they come back to the land in 538, they rebuild the temple in 515, they rebuild the wall in 445, but there's still this, this depression, there's this... There's still slaves of, of a foreign king. They're still paying high taxes. The, the harvest is not good. They're mad at God. They're mad about life. They're just angry. And God sends Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, his messenger in about 430 BC to kind of minister to them, to awaken their soul. They've fallen into a dead orthodoxy. And he started last week, and we looked at it by saying, I love y'all. How am I going to awaken your soul? I love you. I chose you. He reminds them of his goodness and his love and, and his greatness. And that's really what we've called this series, Great is the Lord. Well, today he's going to hit another issue, the issue of their worship. They were very orthodox in their beliefs, but their orthodoxy had become cold. There was no joy. It was dead. 
It was joyless, ritualistic religion. It felt like leftovers is what it felt like. Blah. And the reason it felt that way is because that's exactly what they were bringing God. They were bringing God their leftovers. And no one gets excited about leftovers, even if Bobby Flay cooked it. So there's no joy, there's no excitement, there's no nothing when it comes to their faith. And so God is going to deal with it. And what we need to ask this morning is this. Are you guilty ever of bringing God your leftovers? Right? Or has your faith and your worship become blah, like leftovers? Because if it is, it's probably because you're bringing God his leftovers. And so he's going to show us what it looks like for them. He's going to show us what it looks like for us and kind of give us the solution, which is pointing back to the greatness of God as we unpack this this morning. So let me read our text in its entirety. I'm going to just read the whole thing, um, and then we'll come back and we'll unpack it slowly. All right, here we go. Verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priest, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised you? Right? How have you despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift in your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. He starts out, and it's a lot of text, we'll kind of come back, but he starts out saying, hey, a son honors his father and a servant his master. This is the norm, right? A son gives honor, and literally the word is the same word in the noun form it's used for glory. A son gives glory to his dad. Right? A servant gives glory to his master. He listens to him. He says, if I'm a father, where's my honor? He says, I'm a dad. I'm a master. Where is my honor? Where is my glory? Who's he talking to? He says, to the priest. To you, O priests. You, Mr. Religious Guy. You guy wearing the funny hat. You guy at the, at the church every day. You who despise me. You hate me. Those are, those are strong words. Right, Mr. Religious Guy, you hate me? And their response, and we talked about it last week, God's going to say something, they're going to be like, nah, he's going to be like, uh-huh. Say, no, we haven't. 
We haven't despised you. What are you talking about, God? What are you talking about, Willis? We, we, we haven't despised your name. I don't know what you're talking about. And he says this. Yeah, you have. By offering polluted garbage, that's my translation, by offering this junk on my altar. That's how you've polluted me. That's how you've hated me. So how? How have we done that? Because you're saying the Lord's table is despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Here's, here's what's going on. In the temple, okay, the, the Old Testament temple, this is the actually Solomon, Solomonic temple, okay? But, the, but the, the one that came after this, it, it was the same structure. See, in this big room here, this is where the priests would go, only the priests. This is, kind of whole, this is called the holy place. This is the holy of holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was until Indiana Jones found it, okay? Out here, just the, your average ordinary Jew could come out here. This altar was the first thing you saw when you came into the temple. Huge mega altar. They would offer their, all their sacrifices. And God told them in Leviticus 22, it had to be pure. Unblemished, spotless, pure animals would go on that thing. They were to bring their first. They were to bring their best. Okay, that was what was commanded. What they are doing is they are bringing... Larry, the three-legged lamb, who's got like crusted eye, and he's sneezing all over himself, just snot everywhere. He's just nasty. They're bringing nasty old Larry, the three-legged lamb, and saying, here's my offering, God. He says, what is that garbage? That is leftovers. You're supposed to bring me your first. You're supposed to bring me your best. Not because God's hungry, not because he needs food, not because he delights in the death of bulls and goats, because he is first and best. So when you bring your first, what you're saying is, I trust you with my first, because you are first, God. And when you bring your best, you're saying, this is how much I value you. I am giving you my best, because the quality of the gift indicates the value that you place on the receiver. So after 35 years of marriage, if you go to your wife, I go, okay, honey, I got you our 35 anniversary gift and she's unwrapping it she's all excited and it's a swiffer okay what value have i placed right what have i said to her if you got somebody famous or important coming over to the house maybe it's your boss maybe it's some you know governor maybe maybe it's your favorite movie star maybe it's bill gates whatever and they're coming to your house you're gonna go in the fridge and say okay what do we got in here you gotta find that little that piece of sandwich that your five-year-old just put at the front and it slowly got moved back as time goes because you put the peanut butter and then you put the sauce and it's in the back corner growing its own garden. You're going to grab that out and say, hey, Bill, why don't you check your email on my Mac and eat this snack on this? Is that what you're going to do? No, you're going to give your first, you're going to give your best. And they were to give their best lambs and their best goats because this was supposed to be a replacement. This was a substitute. It was my substitute so that the wrath was poured out on him and I got forgiveness. So it was supposed to be a perfect and spotless lamb. And it also pointed forward to the perfect and spotless lamb that would one day come. Right? It was a picture of that. So when they're offering Larry the three-legged snotty lamb... They're saying, God, your holiness is not that important. My sin is not that big of a deal. Right? That's what they're saying. So they're doing that. They're pulling the old bait and switch. Right? Verse 14, he says, this is what you're doing. You're vowing one thing. You got a male, you vow that, and then you bring this. 
You're saying, I'm going to give this nice thing to God. And then you bring this, this Larry, that snotty lamb. It's a bait and switch. Parents do this all the time. We do this. A couple weeks ago, I told the kids, I'm going out to get some frozen pizzas. Woo! I come home, and I bought you know, those, those, I said, I want to try this. I bought these organic, healthy soy, cost $56 a pizza. They feed like a half a kid. All right? And as soon as the kids bite these things, they're like, what? What is this? this they're not, they, they, they knew they had been swindled. This is not Tombstone. Okay, they, it was the bait and switch. These people are thinking we can say this one thing to God and we'll offer him this. He's not fool. He's as cursed as that guy. Right? I'm supposed to get the first and the best. And both the priest and the people are being indicted. So you got, you got folks coming and they're bringing good stuff. And the priests are saying, you know what? That's a good lamb. It'd be a, it'd be a shame to kill that lamb, especially in this troubled time. Why don't you go sell that good lamb or keep that one? And we'll go buy a one that's, nah, it's not so bad, but God, you know, God doesn't care. That's what the priests are doing. The people are bringing Larry, the snotty lamb, and they're bringing him up. And the priest's like, oh, it's fine, you know? You know, it, Larry's 45 and got cancer anyway, and he's got, he's, you can't eat him. So you might, you know, might as well be a waste. You might as well offer him, kill two birds with one stone. You know, you put Larry out of his misery. You get an offering. Everyone wins. Larry wins. You win. Everyone but God wins. Right? And God is saying to these people, where is my glory? Where's my honor? Right? And he tells him, he says, why don't you take old Larry to your governor? See if he'll accept him. See if he'll show you favor. Nehemiah was a governor in Jerusalem around this time. He would have over 150 people at his table every night. Every night for the governor was like a huge banquet. And he says, let's see what your governor thinks of Larry the snotty lamb. You bring him in and he's like, oh, that looks delicious. Just make sure you cook it to 160 degrees, right? Is he going to take it? No, he's not going to take it. He's going to be like, get that nasty thing out of here. So if your governor won't take it, then why you bring it to me? Right? Some of you paid your taxes this week. You didn't go in the garage and say, what can I give to the IRS for my taxes? <laughs> the old couch. I'll take the old couch, put it down on the, on the corner. This is my taxes. Thank you very much. Boom. Nobody does that. Why? Because they're not going to accept it. Then why are you bringing your garbage to God? That's what he's saying. Why are you bringing your garbage? And the language, y'all, is strong about how God feels about this. Let me just highlight a couple of the words. He says, you priests despise me. You hate me. You hate me when you do this. You bring me your leftovers. He says, you've polluted me. You have brought me down to be common. That's what the Hebrew word means, to be common. You've, you've considered me common. This is evil. It's not good, not good stewardship. It's not being cheap. This is wickedness when you do this. You profane, you desecrate me. Cursed. Strong language. Strong command in verse 10, he says, I wish that one of you, one priest, would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. This is so shocking and radical. He says that it is better for you to shut the doors of the temple, put it out of order, close for business sign, than for you to be giving me this garbage. That's what he says. And that is huge because this is the one place in the Old Testament that the people of God could come and worship God and connect and, and make atonement for sin and hear the reading of Scripture and they could be with each other. It was at the temple. That was the one place. And he says, shut it down. 
Close the doors. It's useless. It's garbage. You give me leftovers. And that reminds me, it is possible for a church to have lots of people. And everyone likes it, except for God. And he's the only one that matters. Right? But we're giving. You might as well be burning it. We're singing. Got earplugs in. Preaching the homily, whatever a homily is. It's not about me. It's not about my glory. We're praying. Not to me. And sometimes, y'all, it's actually good for a church to have to close its doors because it's lost the gospel and it has lost Christ. And it's actually a good thing. Not all churches are closed with that, but it's actually a good thing for some to close because this is where they're at. And here, here's what we have to ask. It was real simple for us to say, yeah, it's good that Old Testament's done. We're good. We're under grace. No more sacrifices. That's not an issue that I'm dealing with. Didn't bring you a lousy lamb this morning, Bill. No Larry's in my house. Aren't we great? It's real easy to kind of separate and say, you know, we don't do that anymore. We absolutely do. It just looks different. It just looks different. And we want to be on guard, right? And, and the context here, and this is where I want to go, I want to care, kind of share some areas of ways that we might slip into offering God our leftovers. And I want to focus mostly on the context of the corporate worship gathering time. We talk a lot about work and about working hard and doing school well and doing your teams well and doing all those things and how that is worship. This context seems to be the corporate worship gathering. So let's focus there and let's just talk about some ways that we bring our leftovers, honestly. And I got four for you. And, and remember this, some of these are a little bit in your face. I mean, these are a little bit where we're at. What is this all rooted in? That's the question. It's rooted in God's love. The reason he is in their grill is not because he's just some mean guy. He loves them. He's already told them, I love you. And I want what's best for you. And I'm going to discipline you because I discipline my children and I love my children. And so that's where this is rooted in. So if you're a little bit, get, get a little stepped on your toes a little bit this morning, know that it's God's love that he does it. Okay? Know it's because he cares. Here's one way. Here's the first way that we offer God our leftovers. We are inadequately prepared for worship. You know, what are you talking about, Bill? It's not, I don't, I'm not supposed to prepare. You're supposed to prepare. See, we get ready for everything else in the world. You got your eight-year-old kid on, on T-ball, so he's got the right socks, he's got the right belt, he's got the right hat, he's got eye black, for goodness sakes, and he can't even catch. He's got the right gloves, he's got the right Gatorade, he's got the right everything, he gets there 15 minutes early. He's ready for eight-year-old T-ball. You got the reunion in the fall, you got the dance, you got the wedding, whatever it is, you're already picking out shoes, you're already picking out earrings, you're picking out a dress, you're already going to the gym, you're already eating no gluten, you're already doing all these things, getting ready for that. We get ready for everything else, but we never get ready to worship Christ with the people of God, right? Why? And there's multiple areas we could talk about. Let's talk about sleep. I can get y'all because y'all late service. A15ers, I can't yell at them because they're, they're at A15, they're here early. I'm like, you know? But here, here's the thing. Some people come in, not too many, but some people come in to church, and it doesn't, they've, been, they've had three Red Bulls. They've been doing coffee bongs under the tent. <laughs> and they still, within three minutes of the sermon, they're already, I haven't even had a chance to bore them yet, and they're already asleep. Why? And I'm not talking about a person that was out working. We have a lot of folks going to work at 6 p.m. and get off at 6 a.m. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, someone that was downtown on 3.15 last night. I'm talking about just not ready to come in and worship. Someone's up till 3 a.m. fighting somebody in some place. 
building a clan or something. I don't know. Right? And just not ready to worship. That's what I'm talking about, preparation. Talking about reading ahead. If you were here last week, and most of you were, I gave homework. I said, read through the book four times. It takes like five minutes. We gave these out. It told you the text we're going to be in this week. It gave you some supplemental reading. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us did it? Just a little prep. How many took our kids last night and said, okay, here's what Pastor Bill's going to be preaching tomorrow. Let's just read it real quick. Does that make sense? Absolutely no sense. I hope he makes it clear tomorrow, but at least we've read it. I mean, just a little bit of prep. We got ready for everything else. How about with kids? So many, you know, those parents with children know something about Sunday morning, there's like demonic possession in every house with kids. And there's ways to eliminate some of that. What we do on Saturday night, we got four children, three of them boys. So if we don't dress them, they don't get dressed. They'll be here in their jammies. And so we lay out outfits, okay? Trip, what's your outfit? Okay, got it? Good. Let's iron it so you don't look like you just got out of the hamper. Okay, good. And we go through. All four children have outfits done. This is one less thing for my wife to take care of because I come here early and we never get to go to church early because I'm here for all the services. It's just one less thing to go wrong. There's a thousand other things that can go wrong, but it's just one less. It's just a little bit getting ready. Put the kids to bed on time and getting ready. Right? How about in the car on the way here? Just getting ready. Some of you, there was conflict. Let's be honest. Husband on the horn, 37 seconds, waking up the neighbors, yelling, yeah, right? We're going to be in the video venue. Some of y'all in the video venue know what I'm talking about right now. You're there. (laughs) Okay? That's why you're there. But maybe before you get out of the car and you've been yelling at everyone and you throw one of these, hey, bless you, brother, maybe you deal with that first so that you're ready to worship. Just a, a, a quick prayer, Lord, teach me today, use me today. Those two things. Just real quick, just prep. It's, it's a way that we can avoid offering leftovers to God. That's one. Here's a second one. Improper motivation. I just ask the question, why are you here? Verse 14, they're vowing one thing, they're giving another. Why? Because they want everyone to think they're super spiritual, and they're trying to project something that's not true. Right? Do people in church ever do that? Right? Look, if you are here to connect with other businessmen, that's, that is not why you should be here. Ultimately, there's only two real reasons. You want to make much of Christ, and you want to build the church. Neither of those have anything to do with you, but the amazing thing is if you come to make much of Christ and build other people up, you will leave having been built up. There's something amazing about that. But, why, but that's the why. Why am I here? I don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira projecting some reality that's not true. Let's just own the fact that you're broken. That's why you need a sinner, a savior. You're a sinner. So you don't have to pretend that you're better than you're not, that you're having a fight with your kids this morning, that the dog didn't get away. You don't have to pretend. You can come together and cast our burdens on Christ as a church. So stop playing. Because if you're coming for any other reason, if there's a sound a little, I want to be seen, I want people to know, I want this, I want to be whatever, then it's, it's leftovers. It's just leftovers, right? Here's another one. Cheap worship. Worship that costs nothing is not worship. If it doesn't cost you anything, it's not worship. And let me demonstrate this. David, in 2 Samuel 24, he makes a bonehead move as the leader, and people are dying. There's a plague. 
And God says, the only way to stop this plague is you go, by this, you go to this guy's house and you make an offering on his threshing floor. David runs over to this guy. The guy says, you can have the threshing floor. You don't, just take it. Take the threshing floor. David says, I will not take it. I will not make offerings to my God on something that cost me nothing. I will buy it. It will cost me something. Then I will offer. Why? Because worship costs. Worship is just elevation. It's making much of something. And when something is made much of, something is less. When you worship Christ, he goes up, you go down. It costs. And if it doesn't cost, then it's not worship. And we live in a day of easy, convenient Christianity, right? Get me in, get me out, little homily, 12 minutes, don't talk about anything bad, make me feel good. I want everything cake, I want it easy, and I just want to feel good, right? This is, why, this is one of the reasons I just love how God has done this. I love what God has done at CBC, because there's nothing convenient about this deal. This is not. Bathroom's outside for four months. It's either too hot or too cold. Too cold on the floor, you're sweating in the balcony. Some of you, you're in the video venue. Got to park six miles away down at Forsyth just to get here. <laughs> Got to get here early. Kids are crowded. It's loud. It's this. That's what I like. And here's why. Because if you're here, it's because you want to be here. Not because it's easy. Because it's not. And it's much more easy and convenient and, and this places that you could go, but you're here. And, and it's a giving of self. We had last service, folks, giving of self, sitting on the floor. One lady got up and gave her seat up to someone. That's giving, that's worship. It costs. Right? And what we want is not for you to out, busting it out 80 hours a week out there. We want you working hard. We want you glorifying Christ and what you do. But we don't even do it all that out there and you come in here and you don't give anything. You don't, you, you don't do anything. You just kind of sit as a consumer. That's why as for members, and we have our membership commitment, that we ask that you're going to get involved in some place. Not in 20 places because then you do nothing well. But just one place that you're going to give of yourself and be worshipped. Right? That's what we do. We... we, we Talk about money when it comes up, and I'm not going to talk about it this week because we got it in a couple weeks from now. There's a whole part, portion of Malachi in chapter 3, so I'll deal with it there. But giving God the first and best, you give off the top. You don't pay all the bills and all the everything and all the hobbies, and, all, and I got 13 cents left over here, God. You pay off, you give off the top because I trust you, God, with what you, it's all yours anyway. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks, right? Well, we'll talk about your singing. If you, if you get more excited about Mickelson making a chipping in for Eagle, and you're screaming like an eight-year-old. You come in here and there is the Jesus going to watch golf this afternoon. And then if that's if that's kind of how it rolls, then what does that say? You're not giving of yourself. And I know all. Well, I'm not a good singer. I just don't sing very well. And and 98 percent of us don't. Right? It's just the way it is. But if, if that's your deal, oh, I just don't sing well. What you need, you just need to get over you. Because here's the reality. What that you're saying is I care more about what this person next to me thinks about me that they think I really sound like Pavarotti. No, but, you know, you, you, they, no, they don't care. And you shouldn't either. Because you're not here to sing to him. You're here to sing to him. And so get over it. And if you're like, oh, come down front. It's loud. No one hears anything down front. That's why we're down here. Okay? Can't see anybody. You just sit down front. Right? And it doesn't matter. But the point is this. 
don't worry about it. It doesn't matter what other people think. And, and maybe that's part of the worship where my ego goes down and Christ goes up, right? Or if you're spending, you know, five hours a night on Facebook and six hours on Netflix and four hours on Call of This and, and all these things, and I don't have five minutes to read the text. Leftovers. Just leftovers, right? And, and I'm so thankful. I don't see this going on, and I just want to guard against it. I, there's a, sometimes there's a mentality in church where we just say, well, I'm just a volunteer. It's just church. Just a volunteer. It's just nursery. It's just greeting team. It's just coffee team. It's just, it's just parking team. It's just community group. It's just prayer team. It's just cross culture. It, I'm a volunteer. I'm not even paid. Who cares? If it's, if it's service to Christ, then it, it doesn't matter what the payment is. You're exalting Christ. So you're supposed to be there at 945? Well, it's just, it's just it's no big deal. I'll get there at 1015 or whatever. You're making much of Christ. It's not just anything. It's not just singing. It's not just, it's worshiping Christ. And when people grasp that, we get what we get. Some of these great teachers that are preparing for their three-year-olds and loving on them well and singing and praying for them. And we have these great folks that get here a half hour early and put on the orange deal and they find people's seats when it's crazy and like pushing people, slide, 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 you know, and, but that's what they do and it's worship, right? And so it's not just anything. It's not, we don't want to be cheap in, in our making much of Christ. One more way we have leftovers is if we're just bored with God. Just bored. They're bored. Verse 13, it says they're bored. You say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it. I don't even know what that looks like, but it sounds ugly. You snort, right? Going to temple, snort. Boring, ritual, routine, right? That's what it is. And maybe, that, maybe that's where some of you are right now. I, and I, I understand. Uh, sometimes I, I, I feel like I don't want to wake up on Monday morning and get ready for another sermon. I don't. Tired, right? Been studying all week. Snort. Maybe you're here. You go, park far away, snort. Greeting, snort. Sing two songs, snort, snort. Fowler rambles for an hour, snort. Sing another couple songs, snort. Get plugged in, snort. Go to community group, snort. I mean, that's just kind of, you know, you're snorting all over yourself. Right? And and look, I know sometimes that I'm, you know, I'm not the best preacher in the world, and I, you know, I try hard not to be boring, but the reality is this. If you are bored with God, it is not a sermon problem. It's a heart problem. It's a worship issue. It just is. Because I can tell you, nobody in heaven is bored. They're not looking, man, these last billion years or so, they've been kind of dry, haven't they? I mean, it's a- <laughs> kind of drug along so a little bit, right? No one's saying that. It's just, it's, if you're bored with God, it's not a true view, vision of God. And here's my fear. Here's my nerd test for the week. How many of you saw Star Wars trailer? Raise your hand. Oh, this service is holy. Yeah. There's a lot more of y'all here. Or 815 or like two of us. I'm like, what's wrong with y'all? All right. So nerds, nerds gather. Um, here's the thing. Love it. Got excited, Han Solo, couldn't wait. December 19th is so close. I'll be camping out looking like a Wookiee somewhere, <laughs> right? But, but here's the problem with that, right? 
So we you got to see the first trailer a couple months ago. Woo, two minutes long. Exciting. TIE Fighters. Another trailer, two minutes long. So exciting. Woo, Han Solo. There'll be another one in a month and a half or so, the feature trailer. Woo. Then we got to wait a couple months. Finally, after camping out for a week outside of the theater, we get to go in. We see the movie. It's awesome. It's great. Then what? Got to wait three years. Next trailer comes out. Woo! Trailer. And we go from two-minute trailer to three-hour movie to two-minute two trailer. And, and we get all excited, and it, and it lasts two minutes. It lasts two hours. And that's what some of us do with life. We just walk. Life is just going from next teaser trailer to the next trailer to the next movie, and we're just waiting for something greater. And we're bored with that, which is great. And so what, what God does is he, he does what he, he's going to do the entire book. He points them back to his greatness. Last week, the greatness of my love. This week, the greatness of my glory. Where's my glory? Where's my honor? Don't you know that I am great? If you're bored with God, I love it. Ravi Zacharias makes this great quote. He says, if, if you're bored with God, even heaven doesn't have a better alternative. I mean, there's nothing greater. And so he points back to himself. And I don't know if you picked it up as I read through it earlier. You can go back through. Seven times in these verses, he calls himself the Lord of hosts. I mean, he's trying to drive them. This. Seven times in like nine verses, he says, the Lord of hosts says this, the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord of the armies of heaven is the idea. The Lord of the angels, the sovereign God, the great and mighty one says this. He's pointing to his greatness. Verse 11, he says, this is where everything's going in the future. He says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And every place incense will be offered. A pure offering. There's going to be pure worship. There's going to be pure people. And my name will be great everywhere. Why? We talked about it a few weeks ago. What is God about? God is about God. God is about glory, his glory. He says, that's where it's all going. I am great. I am powerful. At the end, he says, how can you bring this to me? I am a great king says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared. Where is my fear? Where is my awe? Where is my being revered? Where is my honor? And that's what he's trying to get them to see. That's what he's trying to get us to see, y'all. Do you realize that every time someone sees God in his glory in the Bible, they want to die? That's how amazing it is. Or they're just blown away. Whether it's Moses, Moses says, I want to see your face. God says, if you see me, you die. It's not good for you. Here's what I'll do. I'll put you in the corner of the rock. I'll put my hand over your face. I'll walk by. You can see my back. And when he sees his back, he falls on his face and worships. When Elijah's all depressed and whining and crying about how woe is me, he's on the mountain and God's ripping the mountain apart. But finally, it says God was in his gentle blowing. Elijah wraps his cloak around his face and hides and he goes out to God because he can't, he can't be in his presence. It's just too much. Isaiah 6, when Isaiah sees the the king on his throne in heaven. He falls on his face like a dead man. He says, I got to get out of here. I'm a man of unclean lips. When Ezekiel sees it in Ezekiel 1, the glory of God, same thing. When John, the apostle, the, the intimate friend of Jesus, who's laying his head on his chest on the, on the night he was betrayed, he, he knows him better than anyone. When he sees the risen Christ in his glory in Revelation 1, he falls on his face like a dead man. Even Paul, when Paul has a vision of heaven, 2 Corinthians 12, he has this vision of the third heavens. He gets to see the glory of heaven. It is so amazing that God has to let a demon torture him daily so that he is not so proud about it because it's so amazing. And we snort. 
and we give him our three-legged Lenny's? That's the point. He's trying to get us back to his greatness. Because the same God who is in Malachi is the same Savior who came at Calvary. I am the great king. And, here, and here's what it looks like for us. When we talk about, when we gather, here's what we want. Not mean we're dancing, falling over. That you, whatever it looks like, biblically for you, would be just make much of Christ. That you would somehow make much of him so that he would, it would be clear that you treasure him. So when you're taking that little three-year-old in the nursery, you're loving that kid, you're treasuring Christ. And when, you, when you're handing out a bulletin and you're directing a car or you're handing a cup of coffee, that you are treasuring Christ. Because when others see you treasuring Christ, it inspires them to treasure. When, when a 16-year-old looks over at a 45-year-old and he's singing and he's worshiping, there's something about that that says he treasures Christ. When a little kid sees his mom and dad treasuring Christ in their worship, when, when there's a, a 12-year-old girl looking up at the 22-year-old girl worshiping, there's something that's inspiring about that. It, it's, it's just we move one another not only are we worshiping, but we're encouraging other people to do it. That you would just make much of Christ. That you would re- respond in a way that expresses that he is treasured above all. Because I don't want God to say about CBC, I wish someone would just shut the door. I don't care how many people are there. I care about the building. Shut the door. We're not there, but that doesn't mean we couldn't be. That this place would be a place from the rising of the sun to the setting, the name of the Lord would be made great. That if nothing else, we walk away. Don't, oh, not the praise team was great, sermon was great, kids. That great is the Lord. Great in his glory, great in his love. And, and if you're like me and you've been guilty of bringing leftovers sometimes, there's a great verse right in the middle of this text. It's for us. He says, and now entreat the favor of God. The word favor is the word for grace. Entreat the grace, the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. If this has been you and you've been offering the three-legged snotty lamb, he says, you know what? You you can turn, you can entreat, you you can receive grace. The whole point that he is sending a prophet, his messenger, shows that he wants them to change, show that he wants to do differently. He's trying to remind them, I loved you, I chose you, great is my love, great is my glory. It's time for us to kind of check our heart, and if, if we've been offering the leftovers, you know what? It's time to stop. It's time for some of us to stop playing and portraying something we're not. Because you can vow this and vow that, but the Lord is not deceived. So what I want to do is I'll have the, the team come on up. We're going to worship and we're going to express Christ's value through singing. But before we do, I just want to give you just a few moments to sit, reflect, think. Maybe you need to put in that, to practice that verse 9, that you need to spend some time in just confession and repentance. This is the time for you to do it. So great. And then we'll, just, we'll all stand in just a few seconds when they start singing. And we'll just make much of Christ. Just like three services before you have, that we would be a church the thousand or so of us that gathered this morning and last night will make much of our God. Great is the Lord. Great is his grace. Great is his love. Great is his glory. Let me pray and we'll worship. Father, just thank you for the the privilege of gathering this morning and uh, for all those people who made
just as gathering time possible, whether it's nurseries or coffee or people just even putting paper towels in the bathroom. It's just so vital. I pray that your name would be made great in this place. I pray that, that Christ would be honored in our hearts, that we would treasure you above all, that you would be all to us. Um, Lord, some of us have been bringing leftovers for a while now. We've been going through motions, and maybe that's why we're cold. Just awake and stir us in your love and in your grace. Because if we don't do it in here, we certainly won't do it out there. For your name's sake, I pray.